Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm Alice Stoltz. In this episode, we chat to one of the stars of the upcoming Amazon Prime series, Lux Listings Sydney. And then we learn where best to invest your money when renovating. Every Australian loves to have a good sticky beak at homes of the rich and the famous. The upper echelons of society are well known for keeping their cards close to their chest when it comes to transacting property. But local viewers are getting a chance to see Australia's best homes with a new show to rival Selling Sunset and Million Dollar Listing. Amazon Prime's soon-to-be-released show Lux Listing Sydney promises an insider look at the local prestige property market. Among the real estate professionals starring in the program is director and co-founder of Cohen Handler, Simon Cohen, and he joins us now. Simon, a very warm welcome to Property Unpacked. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Now, Simon, I've seen the teaser and I am suitably teased and I cannot wait to see this, to see a local version of a show that so many of us love, the international versions of. How did this show come about and um, and your involvement with it? Yeah, the, the teaser dropped today and it seems to be blowing up, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, this, this idea has kind of been one that's been around for a while. You know, I think Gavin, Deline and I have all had everyone saying to us, you guys need to be in a million dollar listings type show. And, um, you know, a couple, you know, maybe two years ago, a guy called Ben approached the three of us and, and kind of put together the idea. Um, and it soon evolved into something that, that, that Amazon and Prime Video uh, had to have. And, and all of a sudden, before you know it, we, you know, we had a show that, that, that's going to have 200 million viewers and, and worldwide. Now, what should viewers expect from the show? Is it all drama and just voyeurism looking at these just incredible houses or is, it, is there also sort of some education around the market as well? You know what? There's definitely drama. There's also the ability to see some jaw-dropping houses I think what viewers will see is what an extraordinary and beautiful city Sydney is to live in. Um, and they're also going to get a, a, an insight and a look into the three of our lives, uh, interesting or not. I think there's a lot to expect. And Simon, how does your relationship work with Gavin and Delane? Like you obviously have a different perspective in terms of what you're bringing to the show. Can you talk a little bit about that and your role and what you're cast as, I suppose, in that show as from a professional perspective? I'm kind of the glue that holds them together or, or the meat in the sandwich. I mean, my relationship with Gavin and Delane is incredibly close. They're both two very close colleagues and two very close friends. Um, but business is business. And I guess, you know, we definitely don't always see eye to eye because when it comes down to negotiating and, and trying to get a deal done, they're fighting for their client and I'm fighting for mine and we kind of get into the boxing ring and fight it out. And then, you know, once once someone's knocked out, we we have a hug and move on. You know, that, that's the reality of it. It's an interesting relationship. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the minutiae, I suppose, of your current role at the moment. What's the most expensive home you have sold or bought for a client, Simon? We're currently, you know, in negotiations on properties between 50 and $70 million. We've made offers of $100 million. You know, the hardest thing about about a city top end market is convincing people to sell. So, uh, but, yeah. For confidentiality purposes, I, I can't, I can't give exact, you know, details. But 
around that sort of 50 to $70 million mark is, is where the, the most expensive have been. So you've obviously seen that prestige market change quite profoundly in the past decade since you've been buying and selling property on behalf of clients. What was it like when you first started out compared to where we are now in terms of the market? Well, I started my business, Cohen Handler, in the GFC. Mm. So it was a completely different market. It was a market about saving our clients as much money as possible and being able to save a lot of money. You know, now it's still about saving money, but it's about getting access to opportunities because, you know, in today's market, opportunities are diamond dozen where in that market, you could you could kind of have carte blanche or whatever you wanted to buy. Mm, mm. How key is discretion at this end of the market, Simon? Like I know that it's something that money can't really buy. So how important is it for most of your clients? My clients include some of the most prominent, uh, well-known and wealthy clientele, not only from Australia but from around the world, and, and, and confidentiality is paramount. And I would say that 80% of the deals I do uh, are done under the radar and, and for that very reason that, you know, people just want it kept confidential. So how do you make a TV show then in that regard? How does that get done then? Only a select few are in the TV show. The people who don't want to be aren't. Yeah, okay, okay. Quite easily, to be honest. A lot easier than I expected. Okay. Simon, what's the craziest thing someone has asked you to look for in a home on their behalf Ooh. in terms of requirement, like list? Obviously, people say I want these number of bedrooms, bathrooms, aspect, etc. We had a lot of crazies. Look, there's one on the TV show, which I'm not going to spoil because I reckon I reckon that client takes the case. <laughs> but um, someone wanted a panic room. I mean, that was pretty crazy. Um but I'm going to tell you, watch the TV show and, and you'll see uh, what some people's requirements are. Okay, I look forward to that then. Do you think the prestige market in Australia operates in its own entity and it's quite separate from the everyday housing market? We hear a lot from our audience about concerns about the, the rapid shift in the everyday housing market. Is prestige on a level of its own in Australia? It is literally a market unlike any other. The pace in which it moves, the pace in which it grows and to be honest, the the supply and demand, you know, concept of it, it is just unlike any other. And as crazy as it is right now, as the borders open and we see more expats and more high net worth and well-known international people wanting to move to Australia because it is the promised land, and in particular Sydney, you know, throughout this whole COVID situation, we've been so lucky and so fortunate in Australia. It's It's somewhere where people want to return to and people want to move to, I think the prestige market's only going to get, um, unfortunately, hotter. Mm. And do you see the sort of tentacles of it extending much further beyond the metro area of Sydney? Like we know there's a lot of uptick in regional appetite for people wanting to see a tree change in the prestige realm in particular. Do you see that continuing further afield? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at Palm Beach, if you look at the Highlands, if you look at Byron Bay, any prestige lifestyle area has taken off dramatically. I think that will continue as the world has changed and the CBD, you know, as it stands, might not be the hub of the city anymore. Mm. Do you only focus on the New South Wales market, Simon, or do you look further afield? I have offices in Melbourne and Brisbane and Sydney. And do you see green shoots sort of springing up there in terms of prestige really sort of being inspired by the Sydney market in the next decade, do you think? Brisbane's phenomenal to see what prices were not so long ago and, and what prestige prices are now. 
Mm. My business partner in my Queensland office bought a house yesterday for $8.5 million, which was strongly contested. I think all major cities in Australia, because of the reasons I touched on before, are going to see great growth. Mm. What about the Melbourne market? Let's talk a little bit about that. How do you perceive that at the moment? I think it's like any luxury market. People want good houses in great areas and there's a lot of wealth and affluence in Melbourne and people are putting that into property and as more demand comes and less supply comes, as do prices increase. Can you see a day where that market gets pushed around further? Like, you you know, WA becomes another spot for you. Tassie becomes another spot. You know, like, do you think that will actually happen in the next decade to come? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think there are certain markets that fluctuate quite dramatically, like Perth, for example, whereas you see Sydney not only remaining strong but increasing. So there are definitely other markets that I think that will happen in and that will tap into. But Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane are always going to be the the hottest three cities. Mm. Just going back to the show, Simon, before we wrap up, what was it like for you going into this sort of new world of filming and having cameras follow you around and sort of in your face all day, every day for obviously quite some time? If I'm being honest with you, far less intrusive than I thought. I have to say working with Amazon was incredible. They're incredibly professional and respective of the fact that our day jobs are the most important things to us. And so we're able to do everything we needed to do and sort of fit the filming around that. And it just became a part of life. So I got super used to it. When it stopped, life actually kind of got really boring because you went from fitting in, you know, filming in the early mornings and late evenings to then having this free time and kind of didn't know what to do with myself. And Simon, if the show is successful internationally, are you expecting calls from overseas potential buyers saying, this is what I want, find it for me? You know what, the great thing is 30% of our business currently is overseas buyers. I hope this show gives us access to more because I think the best thing about Australia is our property and I'd love to see people from overseas be able to to access that and enjoy it as much as all of us Australians do. Well, it's certainly a great advertisement for Australia and the lifestyle you can have here. So um, all the very best with the show, Simon, and thank you for speaking with Domain today. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Spending more on a renovation and the value it adds is a common mistake renovators make, but not investing enough into a renovation can be just as risky. Today, Veronica Morgan joins us to unpack what overcapitalizing is and how to avoid it. Veronica is the co-founder of Home Buyer Academy, co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide podcast and the Elephant in the Room Property podcast. Veronica, welcome back to Property Unpacked. Oh, hi, Alice. I hear you've got a bit of a croaky voice and so have I, so we'd be a good team today. Thank you for having me. I do, but our knowledge is still as good as ever. I'm absolutely positive of that. Sharp. (laughs) Yes. Now, Veronica, people talk about overcapitalising all the time, but can you just, just to clarify, what exactly is overcapitalising? I think you can sum it up by saying it's doing or spending more than necessary or appropriate on a property. Okay. And is it true to say it's a very common mistake that many Aussies make when it comes to their properties? Well, yeah, it's a hugely common mistake. And, and a lot of it is that uh, people underestimate the um, A, the amount of work required on a property, mm. particularly when they buy it to renovate. Uh, secondly, they underestimate the cost 
of it. They overestimate their own uh, abilities Mm. (laughs) and often they pay too much for the unrenovated property and certainly in a booming market, you absolutely see the prices of unrenovated properties tends to bounce up even more than renovated because so many people think that that's their affordable entree into a marketplace. Mm, that's so true, isn't it? We're seeing that so much at the moment. You're exactly right about that. Veronica, is it true you can spend too little on a renovation for your home? And I know this is a very tempting option for so many people just to think, oh, I'll just cut corners here and there. But what actually happens when you do do that? Oh, absolutely. I've seen plenty of renovated properties where you can see that they've they've either cut corners or spent too little doing the wrong things in the wrong places and they've actually devalued the property. They would have been better off not touching it. So, really? Yeah. Tell me about that. So people actually go backwards from what they purchase. Yeah, they go backwards, particularly if you add in the costs. Um, so, oh. you know, like an example is if they replace a kitchen but the kitchen's in the wrong spot or a bathroom's in the wrong spot. It's like you spend all this money putting something that's nice and shiny where something old and daggy was and any previous buyer would look at that property and go, oh, yeah, that kitchen needs replacing. Well, I'll move it. Mm. Whereas when they walk through a property where the kitchen's in the wrong spot and it's just been done, they're like, oh, why did they do that? Mm. I don't want to pay for that and then have to remove it. So there's this sort of mental uh, stumbling block or hurdle that buyers have immediately if if that has happened. But also people underspend when they actually don't, fix the big things that are a problem. So if they don't sort of fix water issues or they don't fix, you know, subsidence or they don't fix those sort of major structural things. Mm. Um, So it's like lipstick on a pig then is Mm. one of our sayings. And the other way that they underspend is where they don't get the market right. They actually don't put the right level or standard of finishes and fittings in a property for that particular market. So people might put in a cheap kitchen, for example, in a suburb where people have an expectation of an architecturally designed kitchen, for example. Yeah. Yeah. They might go to Bunnings, you know, and put a laminate bench top yep. somewhere where really Caesar stone is expected uh, and, and uh, bespoke cabinetry. Mm. Veronica, let's drill this down a little bit further. What are the common mistakes you see renovators make? Uh, well, it, it does. A lot of it does come back to that idea of not understanding what local buyers want. So every suburb is different. I've mm. seen renovators that clearly have worked in in some suburbs think that the same sort of approach works in different suburbs. Go and buy a property, do exactly the same thing as they do in one area, and it just falls flat. Um, also, there's different price points within a market. So plenty of times, you know, if you buy under median, you hear, hear all these people say, you've got to buy a house under median. Well, what does that even mean? I mean, the median price is very crude reference point or benchmark to use in any market. So you've really got to dig deeper than that and look at different price segments for different types of properties. And you want to pick a, a segment that's very popular so that when you've finished your innovation, that property fits in that segment. So we have got different types of buyers would be interested in it. So you've got, you're increasing your buyer pool. So if that sort of legwork hasn't been done to understand the market beforehand, then, you know, that is a massive mistake that a lot of renovators do make. And then the actual finishes. So some people can get too personal, you know, they're really doing it to their own taste. And on the other end of the spectrum is when they make it too neutral or bland and it's just no sort of 
feeling about it and, and doesn't engender any sort of emotional response from buyers. So how do you find that sweet spot, do you think? Because I know completely what you mean when you say something's too generic and it's almost too neutral and people just think, I feel like I'm in a hospital mm, yeah. or something that doesn't have any personality to it. But equally, I've seen the extreme of that where people just go all out and have really fruity kind of approaches to things. So how do you recommend people find that sweet spot just somewhere in the middle? Well, and I know this is it, throw money at it really get a good interior designer but I think that's money well spent to be honest so I think a lot of a lot of renovators are trying to cut costs and keep the the costs very very tight but that that's a very appropriate way to spend some money to get that the finishers choice and the actual look and feel and all the subtle things there's so many subtleties when it comes to renovating you know you know for me also I'm always amazed when people use that really sharp vivid white paint it, it, mm. it's so bright and harsh and I just think had they gone you know to their local paint store and just chosen a couple of colors that were a bit warmer or something it would have changed everything like they paid the outlay for all that paint and thought white's the way to go but even you know off-white or a crew or something can make such a difference I think to a renovation and it's the same cost well that's the thing I mean and people most people wouldn't even realize there are so many different whites yeah. <laughs> you said yeah. look at a white a white paint chart yeah. you know ranging from blue white right through to yellow white so like you say if you paint an entire house that's a lot of money you know that's that's right depending how big the house is it could be ten twenty thousand dollars yeah and it's also free advice you can get from your local store if you don't want to pay for an interior designer or something you can get that advice for free at your local store I actually find Australia really quite good in that regard yeah I mean not only that but I mean the paint manufacturers have these sort of um uh, you know, a couple of hundred bucks if you do want to sort of get someone to come to the property and have a good look around as well. So that they have these, um, what do they call them? The colour consultants. consultants. Consultants, thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, the little things like that are important. I think too that, you know, really being a slave to fashion. So, mm. you know, I really, I keep reminding some of my clients who sort of fall for the the latest and greatest, black taps will be out of fashion mm. very quickly, you know. <laughs> and, and you know, when I first started in real estate 21 years ago now, you know, beach cabinetry with black granite bench tops were everywhere. So you can go carbon date, mm. you know, tw- 2000, kitchen made 2000. And, and there are various sort of um, design uh, trends that you can absolutely carbon date and, and they don't stand the test of time with more classic with you know more, using more natural materials or different colors or whatever you can sort of hide or you can blur the edges a bit around you know when the, the property was yeah. renovated but the biggest mistake really is not fixing a bad floor plan I was going to say orientation how important is orientating the house in the right way absolutely and you know if you've got a south-facing house and I don't mean where the front face is south where a lot of a lot of agents will say oh north-facing house they're talking about the front facing north I'm talking about the living areas and the garden orientated towards the north northeast that's the ideal and you know if you don't have that you've really got to bring natural light into that property and if you don't address that it's an issue and and something that needs to be done and I tell you what some properties don't actually deserve to be renovated Mm, mm. you're saying they should almost be knocked down and the the owner should start again basically yes or in some cases particularly inner city areas you've got little cottages that are in conservation areas that can't be knocked down but fundamentally they are constrained very very constrained you know you you have to spend more than is appropriate in order to really fix the floor plan issues and, and overcome the limitations of the site. And there are little cottages everywhere all scattered through inner city areas that really should probably never be renovated, 
properly because they really don't deserve, and I, and I say that and it sounds a bit harsh, but they don't warrant the amount of money that needs to be spent on them to actually make them into really good properties. Mm. What about putting doors and windows in and stuff like that, Veronica? Is that something that you think is a good way of updating a property and, you know, getting more light in? Well, absolutely, if you can. You've got to remember, though, that like particularly um, bifold doors, you know, we all have these bifold doors running from our inside to our outsides and, and they're a great thing to do if appropriate. But you also do have to get a structural engineer in to make sure that you're not then knocking out walls or putting windows and doors in that A, won't be council approved or B, is going to make your house fall down, uh, compromise the structure. So these are really good things to look into, but there's there's all sorts of things like fire rating, how close is the, the wall to the neighbour's property there's there's a lot to understand I haven't even talked about yet buying a property that can't be renovated in the way you want you know so there's there's a hell of a lot of, of learning about different local development control plans and local environment plans all the things that restrict what you can and can't do to a property there's certain areas where basically when you fit within the parameters you can actually build almost what you want so there, there's a whole range of different restrictions so understanding what each zone within a particular area what is impacting on what you can do before you go and actually buy the property or before you fall in love with it even, try to talk yourself into it. And Veronica, I don't know what you feel about this, but I'm always a fan of understanding a property 365 days of the year. I see a lot of people renovate something very quickly without seeing what the light will do in winter or summer or something. And they make these decisions and then in the winter months come, they've put too many doors in or something or the opposite actually. And then in summer, it's like an inferno with all that glass in the house. So I think it's about really understanding the property all year round. That is such a good point. And I've often said that the best renovations are those where people have lived in it first because they do experience that. And the problem is, of course, who wants to live in an unrenovated house long enough? But there are certain things, you know, the overhangs and awnings and, and privacy screens, insulation. There's all these things that actually can be put into the design and thought through at the outset so that the house is more comfortable to live in in all seasons. Absolutely. Mm. Veronica, what are your top five elements of the home that people should invest their money into when looking to resell for profit or increase value? So we're talking about someone who's really going to wanting to pump that value into their house, potentially to sell it in the short to medium term. So it, it, the risk of um, repeating myself here, floor plan, is very, yep. very important. So ways in which you can efficiently increase the utility of a space and, and balance and flow is what you're after. A lot of people do try to cram in extra bedrooms thinking, oh, a four-bedroom sell better than three bedrooms, but then they make the living area too small or the house has actually got too many bedrooms compared to the outdoor space. So the whole looking at the property as a whole is really important and just getting, as I said, that balance right and then obviously the floor plan to flow well. Um, natural light is so important. And we talked about orientation, but there are ways that you can actually bring light into a home uh, if you don't have the ideal orientation. And that's really where architecture uh, input is really, really, really valuable because, you know, a dry person typically won't know that, won't be thinking about that, just thinking four walls, you know, they're just drawing up plans. But but thinking about all the aspects to living in a property, you know, a good architect will help with that. And these are costs, of course, to the actual process. But I tell you what, the difference when you see two houses side by side, one where this has been thought through at the outset in the design phase, um, rather than after uh, or not being done at all, it, there's a massive difference. 
um, outlook. And this isn't doesn't have to have a view, but thinking about what every window looks at. And it could be that it looks at something a bit ugly next door. So could you put some sort of trellis up and grow something in between? I mean, that's a simple device that can be used, but I'm very much in favour of considering the garden area as well as the house. Now, gardeners and landscapers will say all the time, oh, look, there's not enough money left over in a renovation budget for the outside, but it does make an enormous difference and and it is part of the inside as well because it is what you look at. The other thing is the facade, particularly if you're planning to sell. You really want to give some thought, and that there's landscaping in that as well usually, but certainly the colour or the bricks or the finishes, whatever the front of the building is, you know, front door colour, just the general welcoming feel, I guess, if you like, of, of that front of the house. So you're drawing people in, and that's often a hero shot with uh, advertising as well for agents. And then just lastly, which is the fifth thing, appropriate finishes. And so it comes into that not spending too little, not spending too much, not missing the mark in terms of that local market, not being too fashionable, but getting the right level of quality and style and look and feel of the, of the finishes so that it really, no, it doesn't jar anybody. Everyone just walks in and go, oh, I love it. Mm. Veronica, that is such sage advice and I think I just want to add in there, I think when it comes to landscaping you have to think about that earlier on because we know that if you want to sell in six months' time you are not going to have an established garden in six months' time. So I think as hard as it is for people to get their head around that, it's worth that investment in the long term thinking about how that's going to look and get that planting in as early as possible. Um, And second of all, I think the best way to do all that is to go to as many opens in the area that you're renovating in to understand what your competition is. You know, and when you walk through a house, you can feel that orientation if it's wrong or if the house is dark or if the finishes are too high or too low very quickly, can't you? So I think it's about researching and knowing the market that you're buying in. 100%. And I would say really the one final thing that you should spend money on and that is good advice. Mm. So, and that is, you know, it's worth the, whatever it costs, even if it's a couple of hundred dollars to get a local architect to come and advise you before you buy the property. You know, I'm I'm in favour of using an architect just because that's what I've done. But, you know, it's horses for courses as well. And it certainly depends on where you are and and your budget. But certainly even getting that advice at the outset is absolutely priceless. Mm-hmm. Well, and ultimately can save you money in the long term by making the right decision, not the wrong decision. And as we talked about earlier on. Absolutely. Yeah. Veronica, that was great. Thank you so much for your time today and have a great day. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and have new episodes delivered to you as soon as they drop. Our executive producer is Adrian Lowe with production by Hayley Cools and editing and mixing by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au or download the Domain app. Thanks for listening. Chat to you soon.